Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope this message is a blessing to you and helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's Pastor Brandon with this message. Okay, um, hey, uh, we need to do some housekeeping, um, and I, I hope we can get through it, but uh, uh, last service, we didn't get through it. Um, we got to the end, and we had the vote, and, and that was it. That was the church service. <laughs> So what we need to do is we're adopting a new uh, item into our statement of faith. And um, I've had to do this with all three services. And um, you should have been handed out a a, a 21-page thing when you came in. Again, uh, we sent that out to all members because this is a voting thing. This is for members only. Um, So if you're a tenor, you don't have to worry about it, but you can definitely listen. Um, But we're going to adopt, we're trying to adopt a new uh, statement of, not new statement of faith, a new addition to our statement of faith, an addendum on the role of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts because we're getting a lot of people asking questions because we don't have it on our statement of faith and we're getting a lot of people from the internet and local here, hey, where do you stand on these issues? Where do you stand on that? Can you give some clarification on this? So back in uh, last November, I started working on a document to be added to our statement of faith. And uh, I finally finished it by the end of summer. I had our pastors review it uh, as we went along, and now we have finally a finished product. So that was what was given to you. Now, we're going to vote on that today, um, and uh, I'll explain a few things, but we're going to use Robert's rules of order in the fact that I'll, I'll need a motion, then I'll need a second, and then I can entertain questions and comments from you after I explain uh, a lot of what's going on in the document. So in that document, what, what I did is I, I, um, I put as clear of a stance as I possibly could on spiritual gifts. And what you start realizing is that... Um, the Calvinists and the Reformed era, uh, areas of Christendom, they're called cessationists. And they say a lot of these, these gifts uh, are not valid. They're not used for to this day. And they were signed gifts for the apostles. Well, that's a, part, uh, a partial truth. It's true the apostles had all the gifts and they had them permanently. But then when you look at the other gifts in context of, of 1 Corinthians 13, four, uh, 13, four, sorry, 12, 13, and 14, Paul lays out, that the gifts are to be used in the church. And, and so I, we need to discuss that because he says they're still active and they're still going. And, and then the other thing is, you not only have the, Apostle, the Apostle Paul saying this, but in 1 Corinthians 13, 10, um, Paul will make a statement of saying, when perfection comes, um, and the Greek word perfection means complete, when when completeness comes, then the gifts will be done away with, okay? So when you look at that, you're like, okay, that's the quintessential passage you have to look at as far as Greek rules. And uh, the Greek rules is, uh, is, says this, that the word perfect or complete, that when something is complete, then the gifts will not be used again. Okay? So what you look to in the Greek language is you look to the antecedent of that, neuter. So the word perfect or complete means is neuter in its tense. Therefore, 
what is the perfect referring to? Well, in the Calvinist corner, they just make up stuff that, that's not in the text at all. They say, well, when the canon's complete, then the gifts will stop. And they say, well, the canon's complete, so the gifts stop. Well, where in the text from chapters 12, 13, and 14 does it talk about anything about the canon? And if it did, the Greek word is in the feminine. It's not in neuter. So it's not that. So some people say, well, it's when the second coming happens. Well, where is the word parousia in the context? And the word parousia, if it was in the context, would be in a feminine. Um, so it's not a neuter. So you got a problem. So what you have to do as a Greek student is go back within the section 12, 13, and 14 and look for a noun that is in the neuter. That's the antecedent of what is he talking about that when it's complete. Well, if you go back far enough and you start his discussion, you go back to chapter 12 and you end up with the noun soma. And soma means body. And that's the neuter. So in context, what he's talking about the body, he's talking about the body of Christ. That's the soma. That's the neuter that corresponds with completion. Hence, then I know how to interpret that passage. And it says, when the church body is complete, then the gifts will cease. So when is the church body going to be completed? Well, it's when the last Gentile is saved. And Paul says that when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, the last Gentile gets saved, then the rapture is basically going to happen. Okay? So in essence... The church body is complete at the last Gentile to be saved, and then we're raptured. So therefore, how to interpret that passage means that the gifts will continue on until the body is complete and the last Gentile is saved and then raptured. That's when the gifts stop for the church. And that's the only way to interpret it. Any other way of interpreting that passage means you're going to have to break the laws of Greek rules. Okay. Then that implies, and with the apostle Paul that the gifts are still here with us. Okay, so then it, it, it is incumbent upon us then, okay, then how to properly translate the gifts according to the rules of Paul and Greek language. Because if you go further than what the, what, in, in what the charismatic Pentecostal circles do, they take these gifts completely out of context and abuse them. And that's the problem in the charismatic and Pentecostal churches. So, I, so what the scripture teaches is a continuance of the gifts, but properly interpreted. And that's where I had to settle in my documentation. Okay, so give me an, give me an example, Brandon. What are you talking about? Okay, in Marian Charismatic Wings, they say that the office of, of apostle is still with us. It's not. That is one, one of the gifts that have ceased because you had to be an eyewitness of the resurrected Messiah in order to be an apostle. So we know that's done, okay? Then the office of prophet, capital P, and what I mean by capital P is there's a lowercase p, okay? So the office of prophet where he receives revelation and is able to write down scripture, God-inspired scripture, that has ceased. The canon is closed. After the book of Revelation, there's no more to be added, okay? But, the little p of prophesying still exists because Paul has to deal with that in 1 Corinthians 14 as an ongoing thing. So there is no office of prophet, but people can prophesy, okay? And prophesy means 
you know, God told me to say this or that to you or whatever. And you're like, okay. Um, but then, then that has to be tested. And by the rules that Paul lays out, if someone pops off and says, hey, God told me that, you know, he doesn't like your sweater or something like that. You know, I, I just, you know, okay. I told you that, you know, you have to test that. Okay, so like right now, I'll give you a real world example. Right now, what's happening is that people are making, uh, making predictions that tomorrow we're going to be raptured. I can guarantee you we won't be raptured tomorrow because someone has set a date. And anytime someone sets a date, you almost guarantee he's not coming. Okay, but at the end of the day, that's illegitimate prophesying. God told me that Jesus is coming back tomorrow, okay? Well, you can't do that because you don't know the day or hour, so we know you're a false prophet. The minute someone makes a statement like that, I then apply the rules of Moses to that prophet who are a person who's prophesying. And what are the rules of Moses? Well, it's for a standard for all prophets that you have to have a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, and in the near fulfillment, that's how we test you. So you say tomorrow, the Messiah is coming for the church, right? Okay. We're going to see if he does. And if he doesn't, then according to Moses, I am to count you as a false prophet for the rest of your life. You get one thing wrong. Moses said, you get one thing wrong, you're done. You're done. You're a false prophet at that point in time. So people can prophesy, but if they didn't come true, you're in the category of false prophet and no one is to listen to you anymore. So at the end of the day, those rules don't get applied many times because you have the charlatans out there on TV making prophecies up and it never comes true. And people just say, oh yeah, you know, he's not, he's not that accurate. What? You have to be 100% accurate. What are you talking about, man? And so, um, so what you have to do is in the rules of Moses, I, I'm not supposed to question what they say. I'm saying, okay, we'll see if this plays out. And if it doesn't, then you label them. They're still saved, but they're labeled a false prophet. Okay, so that's the rules you have to apply, okay? So you have that situation going on. And let me give you some other scenarios, okay? Um, There'll be a term, um, one of the gifts is gifts of healings. Gifts of healings. It's a double plural in the Greek. And when you see the double plural in the Greek, it means something. It means that this gift comes and goes according to God's will. It is not something that stays on the person forever, unlike the other gifts. So what do I mean by that? Well, let's say you, you, God gives you the gift of teaching, okay? Or the gift of exhortation or the gift of administration or something like that, okay? That gift is given to you embryonically when you're saved and you are to develop that gift the rest of your life. But you have it at the moment of salvation and never will be taken away from you, okay? But when you see a double plural, in 1 Corinthians 14, that means that gift still exists, but it comes and goes. It doesn't stay with the person. So for instance, I'll give you an example. People follow James 5 and they ask for, uh, ask for us to pray for them for healing. Let's say they have cancer or something like that, okay? And a lot of times they, we pray for them and there is no healing, okay? But uh, let's say that in this one situation, someone's called us for healing, they want prayer for healing, and they have cancer, and they go, okay, I'm calling on the elders to pray. So we anoint them with oil, and we pray for them. If it is God's will, God will heal them, okay? And he'll give that group of pastors the gift of healing at that period of time, and therefore, the person will be healed directly 
you know, using the conduit of the pastors through that person to directly. Okay, so then they're healed. At that point, once the miracle happens or the healing happens, the gift is then removed from that group of pastors. So, it, so the Greek is saying it comes and then goes according to God's will. And let me make this caveat. The healing will come according to God's will, not the faith of the person. Let's understand that. Because in the charismatic circles, they'll say, well, you didn't get healed because you didn't have enough faith. God would have healed you if you had more faith. So Benny Hinn told that to Johnny Erickson Tata and that, she didn't, that Johnny didn't have enough faith, which is a blatant lie. Healings are not according to the person or not even according to the people praying for healing for that person. It is according simply to God's will whether that person will be healed. That's it. That's it. Therefore, that eliminates the double negative, uh, sorry, the double plural in the Greek eliminates faith healers. There are no faith healers if the gift comes and goes, okay? Same thing with the gift of miracles. I, I said it's singular. It's actually in the plural. Gifts of miracles, plural, double plural, same rule applies. Then that gift comes and goes as God wants to do that. Okay, same, so same argument I made for gifts of healing. Okay, so then, then you say, okay, well, where is that seen a lot? Well, a lot of times we see it on the mission field. A lot of the missionaries claim that, you know, hey, we were able to do a miracle, we healed this guy or whatever. And it totally makes sense in an evangelistic situation, okay? So that's where we see a lot of these gifts being used is for evangelism in unreached people groups. So, it's still extent, it's still being used. Or how about this one? This is the big one that trips a lot of people up, the gift of tongues, okay? Let me explain the gift of tongues. Paul had a problem in Corinth. They were using a counterfeit from the temples, the, the pagan temples, and, bring, and counterfeiting the real gift of tongues given to the church. What is the real gift of tongues? The ability to speak a foreign language that you have not learned. Okay, whatever that language is, Swahili, Hebrew, Russian, Chinese, Mandarin, whatever. It's a gift to be able to speak a certain language, okay? And um, what you see in the charismatic circles and the Pentecostal circles is they're not speaking a foreign language. They're doing ecstatic utterances, yabba dabba do, just repeating syllables over and over and over again and saying, that's the gift of tongues. No, that's a counterfeit from the satanic and occult world because that's what they do. And Paul was dealing with that in the Corinth church to, to counterfeit the same thing. So what Paul has to do is he defines what tongues is and he uses the word uh, glossolalia. And uh, in that glossolalia, you can, you can only interpret that one way, foreign language, foreign language, that's it. Okay, and then you combine that with Acts 2, they were speaking in a foreign language. It's clear, it's very clear what tongues are. Okay, so that being the case, 98% of what you see in the charismatic churches are wrong because they're doing ecstatic utterances. It's a counterfeit. But let's say, Brandon, um, what would happen if someone really spoke tongues and they wanted to speak it in the church service? Well, here's what I would do. Someone raised their hand and they, I, wanna, I have a message from God to speak in tongues or, or a word of edification to speak in tongues. Okay, well, here's what I would do. I say, you know what? We're gonna do this in order, according to the Apostle Paul. 
We're gonna wait until after I'm done preaching. We'll do it at the end. And then before you get up there, I gotta find out if I have an interpreter in the congregation. That, someone that has the gift of interpretation. Someone who has the gift of interpretation can interpret languages when they hear it. Okay, so you have to have a dual setting of an interpreter and, and tongues, okay? So if I went to this uh, congregation, I would say to you, anyone here have the gift of interpretation? If no one said no, I say to the person, I said, you can't speak because Paul says you have to have an interpreter in order to speak. Okay, let's say I have an interpreter. I have, a, someone raises their hand, I can interpret. Okay, great, you have the gift of interpretation? You sure? Yeah, I do. Okay, come on up here. Now then I would alert those who have the gift of discernment and I would say, you tell me, those of you who have the gift of discernment, tell me if that person is a fake. If they're a fake interpreter. Because anyone can, can counterfeit the gift of interpretation. Well, he said this, you know, and, not, and, and not be accurate. So that's where the counterbalance in the church comes from is that those who have the gift of discernment would say, he's a liar. He's a liar. He's not saying the right words. He's not, he's not speaking for God. And that's how you balance it out in the service. So you would have to do that. Okay, then the Apostle Paul gives the rules. It, you gotta have an interpreter and no more than three people are speaking consecutive order in tongues, okay? So one person speaks and the interpretation happens. Another person speaks and then another, and that's it. No more than three. But what happens in the charismatic circles? All Hades breaks loose. You got everybody speaking at the same time and doing ecstatic utterances, which is wrong. So it has to be done in order to the, the, according to the rules of Paul. And I'm telling you, it would basically, if they, everyone followed the rules of Paul, it eliminates 98% of what's going on in, the, in, in churches. Now people will say, well, what about, I, 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 uh, I pray uh, in a tongue privately. Yeah, you can do that. And there's two, passage, there's two verses in 1 Corinthians 14 that talk about that. But... That's not the ideal situation for two reasons. Number one, you only edify your spirit. If you pray in a tongue by yourself, you're only edifying your spirit, according to the Apostle Paul, and your soul, your mind is not edified. Only your spirit. So it'd be like, you come into church and all we did is play music. You'd be edified in your spirit and you would walk away, but if I didn't preach, you wouldn't be edified in your mind or your soul because there's no content given to you. And so you would walk away with your spirit edified, but that's it. That's it. And that's what speaking privately does. But then Paul says, you should pray for an interpreter because you don't even know what you're saying. And then number two, he says, you should do it in, in concert with the body of Christ because the, the gifts are for the body of Christ, not for you to use personally. So there's two caveats put on that. So yes, you can do it, but you, but you don't edify the body and you're not edifying... Uh, the tripart system that you are, which is a soul-body unity, you're only edifying your spirit. So that's, that's the caveat on that. Okay, um, so I went through all that. I think I got that down. Okay, so here's what I wanna do. That's, that's the reasons behind I had to, why I had to do this. So I need a, we're gonna, we can, I can take questions from you, discussions, but I gotta get a motion, then I get a second, and then we can talk about it. So any uh, I need a motion from somebody, a member. You have to be a member. Okay, right there, Jim. Okay, I need a second from a member. I got that from Alan? Okay, all right, now I can open up to questions, discussions that you might have about this. Yes, there's hands. Let's get a mic to you first. 
Okay. Oh, Monica, can you get them a copy? They don't have a copy. How come no one has copies? You guys got copies? Raise your hand if you don't have copies. I'm sorry about that. You should have been given that copy uh, on the way in. There's a lot of people that don't have copies. Sorry. I assumed you had it. Yes, about two weeks ago. Yeah, so if you're a member, you would have received an email. Not attenders, but members would have received this documentation in an email. And you had to click on the link and it would take you to the document. So you could look at it. Because it's like 21 pages. I don't expect you to read it right now. Uh, but it, that's why we gave it two weeks ago before, to you. Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty heavy. Anyone else? Raise your hand if you had. Back there, guys. And there's one up there. Michael, right there. As they're passing that out, the other thing I had to make a, a notable thing on is I had to identify uh, when the Holy Spirit anoints, when the Holy Spirit baptizes and gives you your gifts. And I did that part of, that's part of pneumatology as far as the study of the Holy Spirit. You are anointed at salvation. You don't need a second, third, fourth, anything. You're anointed according to scripture, at salvation. At the same time, you're sealed, okay? So I had to put that caveat in there because that gets messed up. People say, well, let's pray for an anointing of this and an anointing. No, 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 no. You're anointed at salvation, okay? When are you baptized by the Holy Spirit? You're baptized by the Holy Spirit at salvation. You're not baptized later. And the, where that comes from is a misinterpretation of the book of Acts. Book of Acts is a transitional book. And so what you'll see um, is a delay in giving of the Holy Spirit to certain people groups. And so let me explain this. The delay in the giving of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts has to do with the understanding background of Peter given the keys of the kingdom, okay? Peter is given the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16 by the Messiah. And what the kingdom, uh, the keys mean authority to open the door of evangelism to people, people groups, so the people groups will be enumerated in Acts chapter 1. I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the other ends of the earth, okay? And open the gospel to these people groups. So what you'll see as Acts unfolds is exactly that strategy. So the first group that's reached is the Jews at Pentecost, right? And, and they see what's happening, and, and they, they see Paul can speak in their own language, sorry, not Paul, Peter, and that, that, that opening comes, okay, to the Jews. Then Philip goes to, so Philip, uh, sorry, Philip goes to Samaria, and he leads a revival there, not, I shouldn't say revival, they, they, they have a, uh, they all get saved, a, lot, a group of Samaritans get saved. Well, they don't receive the Holy Spirit, so what happens is Peter is called and Peter goes to Samaria and he authenticates, yes, there is salvation among the Samaritans. Boom, he turns the key. He authenticates it. And once he authenticates it, the Holy Spirit's been given at that point in time. That's why there's a delay. Peter must authenticate it. He's with the Jews. He authenticates it with the Jews. Then he authenticates it with the Samaritans in a delay. Okay, then, so think about that. Jerusalem, Judea has been reached and Samaria has been reached, right? That's one of the, the, the areas. 
then you gotta go to the other ends of the earth. And so guess what Peter's next thing he does? He finds out these Gentiles have been saved and his name's Cornelius. So what, Peter goes there and you remember the whole thing, don't call anything that I say is clean, unclean. And, and Peter has said, the gospel's going to the Gentiles. So when he gets there, it's Cornelius, remember? And so there's a delay with Cornelius as well in the giving of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Peter has to authenticate it. Now, once he hits Cornelius, all the people groups named in Acts have been reached. The gospel, basically, the door has been opened to reach those people groups. And since the doors are opened, there's no longer a need for delay of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It is then, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit putting you now positionally in the body of Christ. So that doesn't need to be authenticated by Peter anymore. So once you get saved uh, and regenerated, then you're put into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And that's at the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a waterless baptism. At that time, you're sealed. At that time, you're, um, you're given your gifts. And at that time, you're anointed. The anointing actually connects with the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So that's what's currently going on. But the problem is the charismatics read Acts and they don't understand the keys of the kingdom. They don't understand why there's a delay. And so they just interpret the delay saying, oh, okay, so baptism of the Holy Spirit comes as a second blessing. And it's not even just the, 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 the charismatics that got that wrong. John Wesley got this wrong. And he, he, he talked about a second blessing that would come later on and where you would reach perfection in, in your walk with the Lord. And it's like, where did you get that? Oh, you got it from the book of Acts and you misunderstood why the delay was happening. We don't build theology off the book of Acts because it's a transitional book. It's a transition between the Mosaic law and the law of the Messiah. And therefore there's a lot of transitional things that happen there that don't happen now in the church age. And so things were being worked out at that point in time. Okay, so that's what a lot of the charismatics do is they build doctrine off the book of Acts. And that's not what's supposed to be happening. The book of Acts is historical record and is not prescriptive, it's descriptive in your interpretation. That's how you're supposed to, to do, understand it. So anyway, um, sorry, I, I went off. I don't know where I'm at. Okay, so any, other, any questions about that? Any, any questions you might have to clear up things? I know this a lot. It actually took the whole service last time. I didn't even preach um, talking about this. Is that clear as mud? There's a few hands. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Uh, Pastor, uh, first, uh, thank you for um, providing this information. Super helpful. Good. Um, there's a lot of confusion around this. Oh, I, man. Uh, just over the years, I, I see it quite a bit. Um, <laughs> second, I think it's important that we stay teachable. And yes. so thank you for uh, providing us again uh, the ability to learn this and so that we can also learn as we grow in our faith. And then third, my question is, uh, I also have had this conversation with other believers is, how do you know um, to exercise your faith or to exercise your gift? And what, you know, how do you discern what's right and wrong and how to exercise it if yeah. you have a gift? That's a good question. Um, so let's say it's a, um, there's, there's several ways to un understand the gifts. Okay, they're still extant, but some are given embryonically that you actually have to develop. Okay, so let's say you're given the gift of teaching. 
you need to develop that. Um, it, you don't start off as a, a great teacher, but it would come to you in the sense that they, this is how you would know. It comes easy for you in, in certain ways. It, it's beyond, like you didn't have the ability to teach before, and all of a sudden, like, yeah, I can do this after salvation. It's no problem. But you still would have to master it and become a master teacher at that. But let's say the gift, um, um, gift of uh, administration is given to you. Um, the gift of administration is another development. You would have to get, the, uh, you, it would come easy, but you would develop it. But let's say you have the gift of tongues. That's an undeveloped gift. That's, you either have it or you don't. That's it. Or you were given the gift of interpretation. Either you have it or you don't. Okay? Verse, and then the other two caveats is obviously miracles and healings, which comes and goes how God decides. Okay. So then when you say, okay, well, you know what? I think I might have the gift of healing, or not healing, uh, teaching. Okay, so let's, let's flush that out a little bit. Why don't you start teaching a children's class and let's see how that goes? Or why don't you teach a teenager class? Or maybe you start a Bible study somewhere and let's see if that really pans itself out. And what you have, sometimes have to do is you have to experiment. You just gotta jump into some type of service that would coincide with what you think you have and see if you have it. And you, you're like, oh man, I tried teaching, man, that's not for me, I can't do that. Then, oh, okay, you were wrong, you didn't understand. So maybe you have the gift, uh, sometimes the gift of teaching is mistaken with the gift of exhortation. You're a real good encourager. But that's not so much that you're a good teacher, you're an encourager and you come alongside people. Okay, they mat that's more fitted for this. And so a lot of the gifts you have to explore and flush out, and it, especially the ones that are embryonic, uh, but like if, if you had the gift of tongues or interpretation, that's instantaneous. You know you would have it at that point. I hope that makes sense. Okay, but you're right. There's a lot of confusion on this stuff and oh boy, that's where a lot of problems are. Anything else? Yes, hand back there, guys, with the mic. Um, does one have to be saved or baptized to have a gift or not? I'm a massage therapist, and nine times out of ten, well, ten times out of ten, my, the people that I'm working on say, it's amazing how I feel after you work with me on my body. Just well, touching. Um, and I know, I'm not talking miracle or, or healing or anything like that. I'm talking uh, relief. Yeah. I take their pain on usually. Okay. Well, uh, again, you would have to match that with the 19 gifts. There's only 19 gifts, and you would have to see where that fits in the dynamics of the gifts. But here's the thing. Um, all you need to do in order to ex exercise gifts is, you, first of all, you have to be saved. That's it. And again, when I talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about when we baptize out here in water. That's, that's water baptism. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation, and that's a waterless baptism but really what it is is the, the Holy Spirit is taking you positionally and immersing you into the body of Christ. So when we baptize you by water, that's what we're symbolizing is that your baptism by the Holy Spirit happened at salvation. We're now doing it symbolically in the water to represent that. Does that make sense? Kind of. So yeah, you just, you just gotta be a believer. You gotta be a believer. If you're an unbeliever, you do not have these gifts. You do not have these types of gifts. Okay. So questions, wait, wait, let's, get, wait, let's get a mic. Oh, oh, back there, sorry, hold on. Hold on, hold on, we got somebody waiting. Go ahead. It's a quick question. Yes. Um, back to the 
speaking in tongues and the interpretation. I was taught all that, you know, someone, if someone speaks out, they have, you have, someone has to interpret it. Yeah. So what you're saying when an individual, well, I felt it, the anointing and the utterance, you know, it feels bubbly, the anointing, that's for my personal prayer life. If and you then, have that, yeah. And then when someone has a message in tongues, you're saying it has to be a foreign language like French Spanish, an international language? A human language. A human language. Because okay. the, the Greek word is glossolalia. And Paul, because Paul was having that trouble in Corinth church, they were bringing the counterfeit of ecstatic utterance. And so he defines it and he says, oh, time out, time out. He uses the specific word glossolalia. It's where we get the word tongue from. And he says it has to be a, 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 a language unlearned. Now, people will say, well, Brandon, I speak the language of, of angels. Because Paul mentions that, right? That even if I speak in the, the language of angels. But wait a second, what is the language of angels? Do you know? What do angels speak in heaven? What, are the, what language do they speak in heaven? Spanish? Did someone say Spanish? <laughs> Hebrew. Hebrew is the language of heaven. It'll actually be your language when you're in the Messianic kingdom, you will speak Hebrew. That's the unifying language. That's the language that started in Genesis. How do we know this? Because angel names are all Hebrew and all the names in Genesis that were before the nation of Israel, all the things are in Hebrew. All the, Adam and Eve, their name is Hebrew. Well, how can it be in Hebrew before Israel started? Because the original language is Hebrew. And so all the, relig- uh, all the languages that clumped up in the Tower of Babel, uh, the one language that unified them was Hebrew. And then he scattered the languages from that. So every, every language today is a derivative of the original language of Hebrew. So that's why in the Messianic kingdom, we will all speak Hebrew. And if you go to heaven, you may not understand this, but you're gonna speak Hebrew. That's the language of heaven, all right? Yes. Now I'm ready for you. Why do Pentecostal? Why do Pentecostals believe you have to speak tongues to be saved? Why I don't know. That's a good question because now that's a foreign gospel. So the Pentecostals are really bad on this, and this is where you get into a different gospel. Because they, they made it up. Why? Why do Pentecostals believe you have to speak in tongues in order to be saved? Because it doesn't say that in Scripture. Where do they get it? It's of their own theology. So this is the problem when people make up stuff and say, that's proof of salvation. It's like, wait a second. Paul says it specifically in 1 Corinthians 14, not all speak in tongues. What do you do with that? Well, he must be wrong, Brandon, because our Pentecostal doctrine teaches you gotta prove uh, you're saved by tongues. So, uh, you know, what they'll do is they'll, people line up in the front on the, in a Pentecostal church and they'll say, let's see if you're saved. Okay, you speak. No, you can't, or you're not saved. You speak. Okay, you're saved. You, uh, you don't speak. What? What? That's crazy. That's called spiritual abuse because not all have the gift. In fact, what you see today is the gift is very rare, very rare. And the gift of interpretation is very rare. And, and you can see why. Um, it's the least edifying of the gifts. Paul puts tongues at the bottom of the gifts and says, why are you Corinth church emphasizing the lower gift when you should be elevating the higher gifts in your congregation? So let me explain that real quick. This is, good, this is good to understand why we're designed the way we are designed. So Paul actually, and I put it in your document, ranks the gifts. 
And the top in his day, obviously apostle, prophet, a capital P, right? It's laying the foundations of the church. They were the most important, okay? So you, you wanted to listen to Paul, okay? But once they're off the scene, then you go to the third, fourth, fifth, all the way to 19. Well, he puts tongues at the very bottom, number 19, so to speak. And he says, what you should be operating on is the higher gift. Well, the next in line after the apostles and prophets is prophecy and teaching. That's what needs to be emphasized in the church, not tongues. Okay, so what do I mean by that? Well, prophecy, little p, prophesying. Now, what you don't realize is that when I'm teaching uh, a book, and we're supposed to teach Hanukkah, but I don't think we're going to have time. But um, it's fascinating. We'll get to it next week. But when I'm teaching, I'm not just didactically expa- uh, uh, exegeting the scripture for you. I'm doing that, but I'm also prophesying. Now, how do I prophesy? I am, t- I am taking what I know of scripture and what it projects out. Like for instance, I'll give you an example. The scriptures predict a cashless system one day, right? Revelation 13, we all know that. So then what I'll do is I will take current events and I will look at them and say, hey, look what they're doing here. Look what they're doing here. Look what they're doing there. And in effect, what I'll show you is the trajectory of where we're heading. Because I already know the end point. So in that sense, that is an act of prophecy because I am projecting out saying this right here is stair-stepping the way here. Now, all of you would understand that, but you don't realize that's prophecy because there's a lot of people that can teach the Bible, but they can't actually connect dots out in the real world. They don't have that gift. And so I I know many, many people from the internet tell me, hey, my pastor's really good uh, as far as teaching the scriptures. He can teach Revelation, he can teach Daniel. But they said, Brandon, he won't bridge it to what's going currently on in the world and how it's setting the table. I said, I know why. Don't get hard on him. It's not like that, that he doesn't want to do it. He can't. He can't do it because he only has the gift of teaching, but he doesn't have the gift of prophecy in the, in, in the, and have the ability to connect dots and say, this is heading here. Now, many of you might have the gift of prophecy and not even know that. But look, So how you would know that is, can you read what's going on in the world and connect the dots to scripture? If you can do that, that's a gift. A lot of Christians don't do it. They see what's going on. They have no ability to connect it to scripture. No ability. If someone, so someone has to do it for them to show them, right? Then they understand. But if you can do that on your own, you have the gift of prophecy. Little p, little p, not big p. What that means is you can show trajectories. And so what I do when I'm teaching, I'm actually doing that at the same time. And that's why people claim, well, you're just being political. No, I'm not. I'm actually showing you the trajectory. It has nothing to do with po- uh, politics. It has to do with my gifting. I can show you, because of the gift, where it ends. Okay? So many of you probably already have that. I don't need to connect dots for you. You can already do it. So that's a gift. Use it well. It serves, it serves a purpose, okay? But see, here's the thing. The gift has to be used for the body of Christ. So if you're sitting there behind a, a, a TV monitor or a computer screen and you say you have the gift of prophecy, okay? And you have the ability to connect dots with all that's going on. And you keep that to yourself, then it's not edifying the body of Christ. So you're using the gift selfishly. 
use that gift to help other believers connect dots. And that's how the gifts are supposed to be used. Even tongues, it's supposed to be used to edify the body of Christ. So anyway, I, I hope that makes sense. Um, uh, I know that's a lot. Okay, other questions right here. Larry. Yes, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 3 defines, uh, in a sense, uh, prophecy. But he who prophesies speaks edification, edification, exhortation, and comfort. Bingo. And that's why in that passage, he's contrasting prophecy with um, speaking in tongues. And he says, look, prophecy is way better than tongues. Now, what I'm saying is, what I just told you, you can see how that would be more edifying than someone speaking in a tongue. Because someone that's coming to you has the gift of not only teaching, but also has the, the ability to connect dots through prophecy. That way edifies the person. Way beyond normal. Okay? So that's why he emphasizes that, and that's why Paul's trying to lean that way. He says, emphasize the better gifts, the more important gifts in that sense. But here's the problem. You know why Corinth was going after the, the tongues issue? Because it was undeveloped. It's an undeveloped gift. Being a teacher and using prophecy, guess what requires? Heavy, heavy study in the scriptures in order to be able to use that gift. So that gift, that's why people shy away from it, even if they might have it, because it takes too much work to develop it. And hence, that's why the Corinth church was gravitating to instantaneous gifts. That's why I think the Pentecostals gravitated to it as well. Isn't it interesting, in Pentecostal and Charismatic churches, this is interesting, they're not heavy on scholarship, are they? They're not. Typically speaking, they're not. There are some that are good, but most Pentecostal and Charismatic wings of Christianity are the most biblically uneducated now, I'm not saying you have to go to seminary. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying, but you have, to, you have to study the word. You have to know what the Greek means. You have to know what the Hebrew means. You have to know all the rules. And you, you either do that informally or formally. Okay, so formally would be going to seminary, which I don't advise anymore this day. Uh, but informally, okay, you, you did a program, a study or something on your own through the internet, or you, did, you worked with a pastor that taught you the right things. Okay, but at the same time, You've got to have some basis of knowledge. So what happens in the Pentecostal charismatic churches many times, they're self-appointed pastors that have no background. And they say, I feel led by God. Really? You feel led by God. But you, you don't know how to rightly divide the word of God. That's your problem. So you just can't self-appoint yourself saying, I feel God's calling me in ministry when you can't prove it. And you prove it because you have the ability to rightly divide the word. And they don't. So what happens, it tends to happen in the charismatic Pentecostal wings, they're the most uneducated biblically, if that makes sense. Biblically, and that's the general trend. There's exceptions to, the, to what I'm saying. Please understand me. I'm not doing a blanket, but there are exceptions to the rules. But that's what's really going on a lot of times. And that's where all the problems come from. That's where the hair So, So tell me this. If I came before you and I said, you know what, I, there's a new gift that we, we're going to, uh, push and we want you to grave soak grave soak you think you're crazy oh no 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 because they teach this they'll go lie on the graves of uh their prophets and soak up their anointing you can't do that where'd you get that because the anointing is up to every believer so you can't take someone else's anointing and, and lay on someone's grave, it, um, you're on the level of a witch now. 
That's grave soak, that's witchcraft stuff. What are you doing? Or prayer circles or um, just weird things like that. And mantle grabbing, slain in the spirit. None of that comes from the scriptures. It's made up by the charismatic wing of Christendom. And so on the back page, on page 21, I put on there every unbiblical practice I could come up with from the charismatic wing. And it's on there. You can take a look at it when you get a chance. Okay, question. Yeah, I was going to, you mentioned that, you know, some of the pastors will actually not, you know, do prophecy. They don't connect it to current events. And you mentioned, you know, and I agree, most of them can't. Would you also maybe agree that there are some that can, but they do not want to because they do want the kickback. They don't want to deal with the, the waves they're going to get. They don't want to, you know, when, when really they probably should be. Is there any truth to that? Absolutely. So a lot of people don't use their gift because they know it's going to cause enemies. Okay? So they won't connect dots. And they have the ability to do it, but they say, you know what? I, I just don't want to get involved in that, John. Uh, I don't, that's not my gig. And what it is, is actually what we call quenching the Holy Spirit because they're preventing the Holy Spirit from using that gift to edify the body. Because what are they afraid of? They're afraid of backlash. They're afraid of people coming against them, people not liking them, people leaving their church. And so they keep their mouth shut and they have the gift. But they're not going to because it's all about nickels and noses, John. And they're like, hey man, if I say this, I'm gonna tick a lot of people off. So I'm not gonna say it. So if I, if I, uh, if I, if I take a pro-Israel stance, I'm gonna tick a lot of people off so they don't say it. If I, if I talk about the LGBT community, I'm going to take a lot of people off. And so I, I don't want to lose people. I don't want to lose my money. That's really what it's down to. I Nickels and noses, John. That's all it is. That's how the game's played. So they suppress their own gifting, right? And so here's, what, here's the mistake. When people interpret what I'm doing, they'll say you're being political. They don't understand. No, I'm using the gift of prophecy because I'm using what currently is going on and I'm explaining to you how this trends towards biblical signposts in the end. Oh, you're being political. What, how is that political if I tell you they're trying to develop a one world government and the scriptures predict it? How is that political? But that's what they label me, right? So actually what they're doing is labeling the gift of prophecy as just me being political. That's the problem. And they don't understand I have a gift in that area, so... It is, it is what it is. They criticize the gift. Um, okay, any other comments, questions about this? I know it's a lot. Yeah, right up here. Go for it. Okay, well, you had mentioned that a lot of these faiths are stuff that um, you would grow into. Um, Some of the gifts, yes. And, and so I'm just wondering about the gift of faith. Is that something that, it, that you grow into or is that something that is unwavering? It's something that's like just onset. It's there, you have that gift of, of, a, well, of faith. Good question. The gift of faith is embryonic. So it has to be developed. But the way you would understand that is that you have more faith than usual compared to the average Christian. Like things wouldn't bother you. Like, okay, the whole, the whole world right now is going to Hades in a handbasket. If you had the gift of faith, you would say, I'm okay with that. I can actually deal with that and it doesn't disrupt my life. Now, that ain't gonna start out 
instantaneously because how do you develop faith? You develop faith by growing. So, but the gift of faith would give you an extra amount than normal to where you're growing at an exponential rate versus as a Christian growing at a linear rate, you're exponential. Because every time you increase your faith, it, it goes hand in hand with the gift. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where you're like un, immovable. Like nothing bothers you per se. And that's when you start realizing, okay, I have the gift of faith and, and it carries you through all kinds of stuff, right? But that's not normal. Because people would say, wow, I, 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 don't, I don't understand how you can just sit there and, and be okay with what's happening in the world and you not miss a stride. It's because you have the gift of faith. You can actually take more in and accept more than the average person. But it's embryonic. You have to develop, just like we would have to develop our own faith, but yours is exponential while ours is linear, if that makes sense. But man, if you have the gift of faith, that's that's a good place to be, man. That's a good gift. Okay. Any other questions, comments, concerns? Yes, right there. Let's get her a mic real quick for the online audience. Um. Is it possible to pray for a certain gift to come to you? Ah, good question. Uh, the faith one would be a good one. Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so here's the, th- here's the thing. If you read 1 Corinthians four, uh, sorry, 12, okay, Paul goes in and how the gifts are distributed. So let me explain, and this will answer your question. Who decides what gifts you get? Do you know? Is the Holy Spirit? Yeah, it's God. But what person of the Trinity actually decides to give it to you? It's not the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. Because why? It's his body of Christ. It's his body. So he determines, you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 when you do your study, he determines where the gifts go to because it's his body, Okay? then the Holy Spirit is the one who energizes or executes the command, okay? So it's a deciding by the Messiah who gets the gifts, and then the Holy Spirit then carries out the orders of the Messiah and says, okay, there's Keith or Kevin right there. They're gonna get these three gifts, and Messiah's making that decision, and then the Holy Spirit would then carry it out and give them that gift at salvation, okay? So, can you determine and seek your own gifts? No, those gifts are sovereignly decided by Jesus himself who gets what gifts. So you don't get to seek. Well, Brandon, it says this um, in scripture. Oh man, I hope I can see this. I'm blind as a bat and I won't accept reality about my eyes because then I would have to accept that I'm aging and... But let me, read, let me read this real quick to you. Okay, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, and I can't even see, is that 39? I can't, it's at the end of chapter 14. I'm sorry, I don't know what verse, because I can't see that little verse. It's like, give me your glasses, Alfonso. Thank you, my friend. 
Alfonso has the same eyesight. You're like nearly blind like me. Thank you. Verse 39, ah, I can see the little, the, they put them so small. How do they expect anyone to see that? <laughs> Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid the speaking of tongues, okay? So we desire earnestly those things. Um, and that's, so that's one thing. I want you to he- listen to that. And then uh, there's another passage I want to bring to, rats, where is it at? I forgot where it's verses it is in. Oh, because in verse 12, it says, even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So he talks about, okay, um, we're supposed to seek these things and all that stuff. Um, And I think there's one more passage I want to read. And I'll prophesy and believe around form, thus the secrets of the heart reveal, falling down, they worship them. <sighs> yeah, I think that's it. Okay. Anyway, um, what those passages are saying, and this is how it's misinterpreted. Um, Alfonso, I'm gonna put them right here. Um, so Paul will make the admonition and, and twice, and he'll say, seek the better gifts, seek spiritual gifts. Okay. What he is saying, he's not saying that you should seek more gifts than you have. That's not what he's saying because he would be contradicting himself at that point. Because in chapter 12, he says it's Messiah through the Holy Spirit that determines your gifts. So, he, so the idea is, you can't, that's not what he's saying in those passages. So what is he saying? Well, remember the context is he's speaking in church in general. And what were the Corinth church doing? They were seeking the lesser gifts tongues bottom 19 okay so what paul is trying to say in those two passages is saying seek the seek more gifts or seek better gifts he is saying to the church quit emphasizing the lower gifts and emphasizing the better gifts in your church seek the people who have the better more edifying gifts so there is a ranking of the gifts and some of the top gifts are more edifying to people and that's what should be uh, uh, pushed by the church, not the lower gifts. Now you can allow the lower gifts because at the end of that passage, he says, I do not forbid speaking in tongues, but it's a lower gift. Okay, so if that's, come, to come back to your question then, you can't seek other gifts because it's sovereignly been, been determined by the Messiah through the Holy Spirit that you have a certain amount of gifts and you're to develop those. So you, you, if, you, if she has the gift of faith, you can't seek that gift because that's what was given to her embryonically at, the, uh, at her baptism, at the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is at salvation. So the concept of seeking more gifts is wrong. And what, what gift do they typically seek in Pentecostal cir- uh, circles? Tongues, because that's the easiest one to counterfeit. How come they don't, they don't hey, you know what? I really want that teaching gift. How come no one goes for that one? Because it takes a lot of work. And they're like, oh, I don't want that one. That's bad. That's a lot of work. I don't want to put all that study time. Oh, no kidding, right? So that's why you go seek tongue because it's instantaneously. So you can counterfeit it actually too. It makes people feel spiritual. So at the bottom line, back to your question, you can't seek other gifts. It's only determined at salvation by Jesus. And Jesus knows you. And he says, this is what you get. 
This is what you're going to work with your whole life. And it's your job to be responsible to, uh, to use that gift um, in, to edify the body. Um, and there was something I want to say. Okay, uh, let me add something to this. So when Paul tells the Corinth church to seek the better gifts, he's not telling individuals, he's telling the church to seek the better gifts that are more edifying. Hence, when you look at Pentecostal or charismatic churches, where do they spend the majority of time? They don't spend it on the higher gifts of edification. They spend it actually on the lower gifts, okay? So this is why their music time will be long, okay? This is why they'll spend a lot of time on tongues or whatever charismatic aberrations come out of that, and they'll spend a bunch of time doing that, okay? And then when the teaching gets up there, that guy gets up there and gives a devotion or motivation speak, and it's like nothing. There's no, no, there's no edification. So the person might believe and they may feel that their spirit is edified, but none of the rest of them are edified in their mind and soul and heart and belief system. So what you see when I design our church services, I intentionally have designed them to seek the better gift. The most edifying gift, now that the apostles and prophets, uh, capital P, are gone, and there's prophesying, and then after that is teaching, I'm going to emphasize those two elements in our church services the most. That's why our teaching time will be longer than the average bear because it's the most edifying of the gifts. And so we were not gonna do 45 minutes of music. We're not doing that. That doesn't help you in a greater way. I wanna give you the maximum amount of edification. And hence, it's prophecy and teaching. And that's how I deal. That's how I structure the services. So... Um, anyway, um, okay, any other questions beyond that? I know we went a long time, right? Any comments? Things that, this is the time to answer, man. Uh, it's on the floor. <laughs> right there, Roseanne. I have a question about serving. Yes. I wonder why it is so hard to encourage people to serve. Just in a simple, <laughs> start out microphone. little. Can you use your microphone? Can you use your microphone? uh, It's very hard. It is. It's number one. It is. It's the number one thing. And Roseanne recruits a lot of people to serve for us. So here's the question. Spiritually speaking, if believers are giving multiple gifts, it's not just one. You're you're given multiple gifts, okay, by the the Messiah himself. And what does Messiah expect out of you? Well, all you have to do is turn to Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, or in Luke... uh, 19, the parable of the minas, okay? So let's just focus on the parable of the talents. Those gifts represent the talents. Some of you have been given five talents or many gifts that edify. Some of you have been given two and some of you were given one, okay? And what are you supposed to do? Why the master is away, like right now, he's away. What are you supposed to be doing with the talents? Using them, using them. So Rosanna, they should be serving. You should have no problem recruiting people. They're like, sign me up. I can't wait. But they're not. Because in the parable, what's the old boy doing with one talent? He buried it. 
So Roseanne, when you see people say, you know what, Roseanne, I'm real busy and I don't have time for that. I'll do it when I retire or I'll do it when the kids are out of the house or I'll do it when I don't have little kids anymore running around. I'll get to that, but don't worry, I'll get there. They never get there. They never get there. Because what have they in effect done? Buried the talent. Now play that thing out. So they bury your spiritual gifts and you don't use your spiritual gifts? And, and then, and so then we account at the Bema seat. And so when the master comes back and he says, okay, what do we got here, Brandon? Well, what, is, what does the guy say? I knew you're an austere man. I knew, I knew you, that you're, you're, you're exacting. I knew that, um, I knew that um, you, scat, you, you harvest where you don't scatter. And I knew that um, you, expe- you expect things but you don't provide. That's in essence what he told him. And because you're an austere man, you're very strict and you're very exacting. I was afraid. What do you mean? Well, this is the thing that people say to me all the time. Boy, man, if you want me to to do this, Brandon, what if I make a mistake? You know, it says in James, you know, those who teach are going to have a stricter penalty. So I, I really don't want to teach or whatever because I'm afraid of the stricter penalty. You lazy wicked servant you have the gift of teaching and you're afraid of james warning teachers and so that's why you're not going to teach you are part of that parable you're the one who buried it because i knew them i knew jesus is austere he's a very exacting man and boy if i make a mistake he's gonna he's gonna jam me up man you really think that's so jesus said so that's your view of me Well, if that was your view, you should have put those talents on deposit with the bankers. So when I come, you would have an interest that came and you could give me the interest. What does that mean? Well, if you are not going to do anything with your gifts and serve me, you at least could have put your money into someone that does. And you could have supported people that are in ministry if you decide to sit this one out. But you didn't even do that. So, Roseanne, that's why they don't serve. Okay, one more thing. You said <laughs> Wednesday night, you said Wednesday night that if we wanted to extend our life, yes, we should serve. You should get serve. Busy. What's the purpose of you sitting around on your gifts with, you know, and saying, well, I'm going to put on the white sheep and help? No, you know, you actually can extend your life physically if you're busy serving because you're, you're useful to the master. So what's, what's the whole point? If, if, if you're not useful for the master, then you have the parable of what he does to the vine. Cut it down. You remember the parable? He actually was speaking to Israel at the time. And um, the, the parable goes that the, the owner of the, gar, uh, of the vine says, let's just chop it down. It's not producing anything. It's no good. And that represented the father saying to Israel, we're just gonna cut this down. And what what does the the gardener say, which is portrayal of the Messiah? No, 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 let's give it one more year. I'll put fertilizer around it. Remember that parable? I'll put fertilizer around it. And then after a year, if it doesn't yield any fruit, then let's go ahead and cut it down. But I'm gonna give it a second chance. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm gonna put fertilizer around it, Father, and we'll see what happens. But if you're right, if it doesn't produce fruit after that, cut it down, Right? And he did that in his ministry. That's what he was doing. He was fertilizing Israel to come to faith. Now, a remnant did, but not all of them came to faith, right? 
And so what ends up happening, Israel is cut down in 70 AD. Their, their temple is destroyed, Jerusalem's destroyed, and the, the Jews are scattered throughout the entire world and now have been brought back in 1948. Okay, that's the idea of cutting down. So what, what's the principle? Usefulness, usefulness. You have to be useful. If you're not, then why are you still here? You're just not doing anything? What, 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 hey, hey, you're on task. Okay, so get this, to connect this, Roseanne. The connection of being useless is the Laodicean church. What do you mean? This is the church that had all the material possessions they could possibly want, and they actually thought that their material blessings was from God. Hashtag blessed, because they were very rich. And they would, you know, they were doing the hashtags. I'm blessed of God. How's life? Living the dream, baby. That's the Laodicea, right? That's what Laodicea had said, in essence. And they thought all these wonderful things, because, man, they made ISAB, uh, they had black wool, and they were rich as all get out, okay? So they, they, mist- they stuck this. But they were, they were, they were useless. So when Jesus evaluates them, he says, you're blind, you're spiritually naked, you ought to be ashamed of yourself for acting this way. You think you're spiritual, you're dead in the doornail, so to speak. Now, he uses an analogy. Now, check out the analogy. I wish you were neither cold nor hot. Either cold or hot. But instead, you're lukewarm. Now, what does that mean? It's, it, it, the, the cold and hot, one is not positive and one is not negative. They're both positive. And how do we know this? Because we know the rivers that came through Laodicea. So you had the, 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 the Colossi River that came down from the mountains and it was this beautiful water, it was pure, it was snow-packed and it was, it was cold. So on hot days, it was refreshing, it was clean. And so the cold aspect came from that river from Colossi and that's where they got their drinking water, okay? So it came and it fed right into uh, to Laodicea. But then you had another river that came, and I think the name of it was uh, the Heropolis area, um, and they had natural hot springs. And if you've ever been to a hot spring, it's like mineral water, and you, know, and you go in there, man, it feels great, and, and it makes your muscles, it's very therapeutic, right? And that's what they had up there above, uh, in the mountains above Laodicea. So these two rivers flowed down to Laodicea. And right before it got to Laodicea, the two rivers combined. And then that river flowed through Laodicea. So if you took water after they combined, you were getting water that was diluted with minerals. It wasn't cold and refreshing anymore. It was lukewarm and it was undrinkable because of the mineral content. And when you drank, if you decided to, you were gonna drink it once it came together, you would actually, it would cause you to vomit the water out of your mouth because it was so high in mineral content. It's nasty, you know? So, so what happens, Jesus uses that. I wish you were cold, refreshing to people, refreshing to the body of Christ, or I wish you were hot like the therapeutic water, but you're neither. You're lukewarm. You're like the water when the two rivers come together. And at that point, the water was useless. And hence, that's his message to Laodicea is you're useless and I want to vomit you out of my mouth in judgment because you're useless to me. 
I can't use you anymore because you have decided to sit on your loins and your riches and do nothing for me. Hence, back to Roseanne, the guy who buries his talent. The guy who buries his talent is the Laodicean church. And what put them to sleep, guys? You know what put them to sleep? Their wealth. It's their wealth, their affluence put them to sleep. Hashtag blessed, they always thought that. Living the dream. And he says, you're poor, pitiful, blind, and naked. You better repent or else. And so th therein lies why a lot of people, Roseanne, don't serve is because they're part of the Laodicean element and they're bearing their talent. Let me ask you this. We'll end here. We got to vote first, okay? I know I went off in sermonette. We all are going to have to stand before the Lord, okay? And one-on-one. And -on -one with him, one-on-one. -on -one. And he's gonna say to every one of this, what did you do with the spiritual gifts I gave you? How did you edify the body? How did you evangelize with them? What did you do with them? Because those are the talents I gave you. And you will have to account for how you used them. And there, there's no wiggle room in here. Well, I wanted to use it. I, I had good intentions and, you know, I just never got the time to do it, Father and, or Lord. Uh, and, you know, it was just real hard because I was raising kids and I, it was doing this and doing that. You think any of those excuses are going to work? If you're going to use your kids as an excuse of why you didn't serve them, um, I, I think I'd think twice before saying that because he's going to say this. I didn't give you those kids to deny me service. You're putting those kids ahead of me. Don't go there. Just don't go there with him. It is exacting. He knows every motivation, thought, everything we did. And again, this is not for condemnation. Please understand me. But this ain't your Rusty's Pizza Parlor, uh, everyone gets a trophy thing. Don't think like that. It, it is a judgment of rewards, but it is, there will be a shame associated to it with many believers who buried their talents. So we definitely gotta, can't do that, okay? Anyway, sorry, application. Um, we got to vote. Any other questions, comments about this? I'm sorry, but we have, uh, this is the whole service. So we'll do, we'll do the rest of Daniel chapter eight next week um, with uh, Antiochus Epiphany. So we got a lot to wait. So if there's any more comments or questions, okay, good. So for the members, if you're a tender, you're not allowed to vote. But, um, but if you're a member, um, we're having a vocal up and down vote. So you just say aye if you agree, nay if you don't, okay? So all those in favor of adopting the spiritual gifts list and the Holy, work of the Holy Spirit, say aye. aye. Any opposed, say nay. All right, that carries. All right. Well, with that, let's pray and we'll get you out of here because we're done. We have no more time left. I'm sorry. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn today, even about the spiritual gifts. We didn't plan on doing this, but hey, it just happened, Father. Help us to have clarity in this. Help us to have understanding about this because there's so much, so many problems of misinterpreting this. So we wanna be clear and help people understand things. And Father, as we go about our week, help us to take that good news of Jesus Christ to this lost and searching world. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.